What's up, everybody? It's Chris here, and I have something really special for you today. At least it is special for me. While we've been making this show for the past year, we've also periodically asked you for your stories, your thoughts, your reactions, and you consistently come through. I mean, even when we haven't asked, and in the background, we've been compiling these messages for this moment. So today's episode is brought to you by you, our amazing listeners who tune in every week. I am wildly grateful. My name is Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough. Stories between black and white. Here we go. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. I created this platform to make space. I'm a huge believer in spaces of belonging, in bringing people together and sharing each other's stories. And many of you have told me this show has done that for you. It made you think deeper about your own identity and culture and place in this world. So the first batch of listener stories is about that. Ivana never really questioned her brownness growing up in her home country of Mexico. But things got confusing when she moved to the U.S. and went into the acting industry. I get it. What does being enough or being brown enough mean to me? When I think of being brown enough, uh, it means a lot of different things in my life. Uh, I grew up in Mexico City, and growing up, I never even thought about being brown, uh, much less brown enough. Enough for for what? You were just Mexican. (laughs) And um, it it was not a thing. And ever since I moved to the U.S., I realized that it's a place that functions around labeling people and deciding where to put them, how to place them, what their value is based on these labels, much more than any other place in the world. And suddenly being brown became a thing in my life. I was, I was brown. <laughs> I was understood as being brown. Um, it was something that I suddenly was and that had consequences in my life, good and bad, depending on when and where I was or or who I was talking to. And then came the enough part, right? Am I brown enough? Am I enough at all? Am I enough for who? For me, being enough starts with me and with being comfortable in my skin, not only comfortable, proud. Being brown or being Latin or being Mexican doesn't come from the color of my skin. It comes from my heart. It comes from the stories that have shaped who I am today and the people that have shaped who I am today, the communities that have shaped who I am today. And so I think that the value or finding that enoughness, connecting to that enoughness, that we all have within comes from connecting to our stories and 
embracing those stories that have shaped us, whether it was stories of our ancestors or stories from our childhood. You know, but it's those stories that shape who we are. It's those stories that make us enough just by being. And that's what being brown enough means to me. Emmy is a New York native, like myself, raised in Brooklyn and also of Dominican descent. But he has gone through a journey of owning and embracing his beautiful brown self by learning his roots. I often came across many challenges that was unfortunately sparked due to my skin color. Where some people will often say, you're not white or black enough, what are you? What I am is habao which is a word used in Hispanic Caribbean countries to denote a person who is of mixed black and white ancestry, but who has white skin and African features, either in curly or kinky hair or wide nose or full lips. All this made me feel very confused growing up, especially when both my parents and my two other brothers are what most people would consider your typical Dominicans with a darker skin tone, with the exception of my sister, who is also like me. However, growing up with my two other brothers, they would often tease me and say things like, I was el hijo de lechero, the milkman's son. This definitely made me feel like I didn't belong anywhere and left me feeling confused about my identity. It wasn't until I embraced my cultural roots and learned more about my heritage that I began to feel proud of who I am. I realized that being Dominican is not just about the color of my skin, but it's about the rich history, traditions, and values that make up my culture. I learned to appreciate the music, the food, the language that connects me to my ancestors and helps me understand who I am and where I come from. Now, I am proud to be a Dominican American and I embrace both sides of my identity. Thank you for sharing this wonderful message with us, Emmy. I'm glad to hear you are embracing your true identity and I know you are inspiring others. This next voice memo comes from Chris who is also Dominican, unlike me, this Chris didn't grow up in a very diverse place. You know, embarrassingly, I feel like I didn't understand what it means to be Dominican until my 20s when I moved to New York City. Because I grew up in Ohio and I really had no models. Well, I had no one around me that was Dominican other than my parents. Um, There were Latinos, but they were mostly Mexican or South American generally. And... My parents, you know, I don't blame them for this, but they they really were focused on having me assimilate. So they primarily spoke English to me. Um, I, I didn't really know what was specific to my culture. I just thought, oh, I'm I'm Latino. I'm and I'm not even sure if I would even if I would have even said Latino back then. Um, and you know, I couldn't relate to. I could relate to other Latinos like Mexican. But because they spoke Spanish, but I couldn't really in the sense that I was like, oh, my hair is different. Like I'm, I'm, I'm Afro-Latino, which I didn't know that even that term at the time. But I knew that I was not, I did not feel totally Latino. I felt kind of black. I, I related, I, I had predominantly black friends. I related more to, to my black friends. And so it was weird. It was in this in-between space. And I feel like the only, and there was no media, like I, on TV, I didn't see any Dominicans. Afro-Latinos did not exist. So I really didn't know what it was. The first time I ever actually in any sort of media saw myself was in ninth grade. I had a teacher who assigned us Drowned by Juno Diaz. And, you know, Drowned focuses on Dominican-Americans in New York and New Jersey. 
I remember reading this text and for the first time in my life being like, oh, like they're speaking my home language, like literally words that my parents say that are very specific that I'd never heard, you know, other Latinos use mostly. For example, like, coño, uh, which, you know, embarrassing that that's the word, but yeah. Um, and so that was the first time reading that text and being like, oh my God, I see myself. And I don't know if, if, if the teacher, you know, she was one of my favorite English teachers. I don't know if she did it on purpose or it just was because she really enjoyed the book. But it, um, that was the first time I ever saw myself. And it, after that, you know, it was until my 20s when I moved to New York City that I really felt like I could understand my culture more because I was surrounded by Dominicans and, you know, I could go to Washington Heights and whatnot. And that's when I, and I also think at the time I became more invested in wanting to learn more about my culture. So I, I did end eventually visit Dominican Republic wanting to learn more about it. But um, yeah, I think about that. It took like almost 25 years for me to really feel like, oh, I'm, I'm Dominican. I totally understand where Chris is coming from. And my parents also wanted to give me the best shot of surviving in a society that doesn't always accept brown people. I went to the Dominican Republic for the first time in my 30s. And what an eye-opening experience it was for me to see my pops in his homeland. Shameless plug, if you want to hear about that and maybe even cry a little, scroll in this very podcast feed and listen to episode 10, Nos Vemos of Ruby Rosa, the documentary story that kicked off this whole thing. It is a tear jerker. Now, you all know my Spanish is más o menos and my entire journey with that thing. And so when we came out with our episode Spanish sin pena, I received this beautiful message from our next listener, Sharon, who sparked some thoughts about her own language, Punjabi, and learning to embrace it to be in touch with her culture and community. I, I speak my language with pride out loud, and Punjabi is something that I'm so proud of. I can write it, I can speak it, I can read it. Reading's not great, but it's better, it's better than writing. Um, but I can connect to people in our culture and to other elements of our culture. I grew up watching Bollywood movies, which are in Hindi, not realizing that there was such a vast difference between Punjabi and Hindi, which are two quite different languages. But because I grew up speaking Punjabi and watching Hindi movies, to me, those languages was if you could speak one, you could understand and speak the other. But apparently there's a lot of people that struggle with speaking both those languages. Um, because they're not the same and being able to switch between these languages but mostly to have insight into my culture into my my history have connections with my ancestors with with my granddad and my baba and his brothers and his sisters and the families and talk to them and hear their stories and understand them i realized that's a privilege because there's a lot of people my age who can't speak Punjabi and they can't speak their mother tongue. They barely have conversations with their grandparents. And I, I say this, and apparently everybody says this, I, my kids have to know the language. They have to know how to speak Punjabi. I just hope that I can teach them the way that I was taught. Skin colour, language and identity are not the only things y'all have been talking to us about. And some of you resonated with my confession about the weight of student debt. I've shared with you before that I have 
massive college debt that runs into the six figures. It's something that I am still dealing with after having a book out, two podcasts, and being a regular on a TV series. Something I no longer have shame about. And this next message hit me because I sympathize with Nina, an educator in a brown community. I, you know, became friends with one of the cafeteria staff at my school, and she was asking me to help her brown son that had just graduated high school to see if I could help him out, you know, with a scholarship, at, you know, fill out scholarship stuff at his, um, for his university years and to try to get into this college in Colorado. And also if I could help him, like once he was in, um, he had to take this like math assessment. So this math assessment is some high schools that don't have like those accelerated courses. You know how some schools have these accelerated courses where you go into college and you have to take those like prerequisite classes and not spend tuition on those. So some brown kids don't have access to those classes and it's how can we help this kid to pass these tests so he doesn't have to pay tuitions for these prerequisite math classes. So, um, I, I mean, I even, I helped him out and I even got my engineer brother to help me help him, you know, get some calculus done and get, um, his assessment done. And he actually like did the math test and got into this university, but then ended up dropping out of college one semester after that. So it's just, um, I don't know, as an educator, I question every night when I go to bed to be very cautious in how I defend going to college. Um, I don't know, man, like this boy got in and then just left college and now he's working this security check officer at the airport. So like, what is better? I honestly don't know. What serves him better right now? Like stressing and getting into this debt, educational debt, or getting a job to fill his and his family's immediate needs right now? You know, um, I don't know. This must be said over and over. Thank you, Nina, for being an educator. We undervalue and underappreciate the beautiful and important work that educators do in our lives. We need more people like you. And like you, I also am not against college, but rather the cost of it. I am here, as are you, as are many of our listeners, ideally planting seeds that allow our communities to have better resources in the future. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have more listener stories about a topic that really, really got y'all going. Your names. Stick around. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. 
And we are back with more of you, more of your beautiful, beautiful messages. A couple of weeks ago, we put a special episode together about names. And the idea for that came from a personal place, my own family. You see, growing up, people had a hard time pronouncing my pops' name. You know, some would even make fun of it. Eventually, he got tired of that, and he legally changed his name from Guillermo to William. Now, I wasn't totally surprised by this. You know, my pops was just trying to fit in, to make it, to assimilate to American culture, to be accepted. And some of y'all have shared similar stories. So many, in fact, that we did a whole episode on names. And this has to be one of our most popular topics because those stories, they are still pouring in. So I wanted to share some with you. Are you insinuating that Rogelio isn't perhaps the easiest name to pronounce for white folk? Because if that's what you're telling me, Christopher Rivas, you are 100% correct. Rogelio is not easy to pronounce and has been mispronounced my entire life. I, for the longest time, went by Roger uh, because I didn't want to continue to correct people. And uh, my, my dad's name is Rogelio. I'm Rogelio. And uh, I just changed it until about high school when uh, I decided I want to go by Rogelio, college actually, first year of college. But the damage had already been done and many of my lifelong friends know me and continue to know me by Roger. So uh, I'm kind of stuck in this weird in-between. And you can tell when people have met me or when they got to know me by whether they call me Roger or Rogelio. Uh, Not Rogelio, not Rogelio, Rogelio. My last name is Guevara, but most of my life I anglicized it by saying Guevara, and most of my life you grew up hearing it pronounced as Guevara, 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 and when I stopped being embarrassed about the origins of my name, I started pronouncing it the way my dad said it as Guevara, and most of the time people look at me quizzically like, oh, I didn't get that. And so I have to say something like, as in Che, Che Guevara. Oh, okay. Now now I get it. And so I'm really proud of this name and excited to have it. And that's a little bit about my name. My middle name is Mendez. So even though I'm a Werito, my name looks like um, Michael Mendez Guevara. In fact, I even think my birth certificate says Miguel. So I'm my Miguel Mendez Guevara. But of course, you know, you come here in Canada and everybody calls you, your name is Juliana. I went through a phase where I went by the nickname Jules because it was just easier. Um, and now I'm trying to get back to using my name, Juliana. Juliana. So on the regular, people, oh, Juliana. How do you spell that? J-U-L-I-A-N-A. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, oh no, it must be an H. H-U-L. I'm like, no, 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 man. I think I know how to spell my name. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, uh, my name is Reginald. It is spelled R-E-G-E-N 
A-L-D. And, um, but I didn't always know that. Um, when I went through school and everything, I, you know, thought that it was spelled R-E-G-I-N-A-L-D. So it wasn't until I got to 10th grade and I was uh, starting to work and I asked my, my parents for my social security card so I can work at the uh, local place in my area. And I did. And I see my name spelled R-E-G-E-N-A-L-D. So I started to think, I'm like, that's not, that's, that's not right. Um, so I go and I ask my mom and I was like, mama, why did, why did you tell me that my name was spelled R-E-G-E-N-A-L-D? And my mom was like, well, I don't need to know how to spell your name. I just need you to come when I call you. I was like, yeah, touche. Good point, mom. Um, back to, uh, <laughs> back to the daily, uh, grind. But yes, I, I uh, learned at that time that it was spelled with an E and I just embraced the, the, the uniqueness of it because I knew nobody else that spelled it the exact same way. And then my um, middle name is Leroy, which is an extension of my father. My father's name is Leroy. I'm from the South. So sometimes I'll get Leroy, I'll get Leroy, you know, but it's, it's Leroy, Leroy, like Bruce Leroy. So I'm very proud of my name because it extends um, you know, who I am as a person and, you know, it, you know, strengthens my blackness. Like, I feel like it's a pretty black name. Reginald's name story sounds like Rocky's, except she's been battling with people about how to pronounce her name based on a misspell that was on her birth certificate. Okay, so the story of my name goes like this. Once upon a time, <laughs> in a very rural, very white neighborhood uh, area of Massachusetts, which, you know, to be frank, which area isn't white in Massachusetts, um, I was born in the 80s. Uh, my mother at the time was a recovering addict and it was very clear that at the hospital that she had me at, um, they did not care for my mother's kind. Um, so anyways, she has me. The nurse comes and asks for the name. My mother says Raquel in Spanish. The nurse writes on the birth certificate, R-A-C-H-E-L. That gets put through the system when my mother gets the birth certificate and sees the spelling of the name, she tries to correct it. The nurse says it's too late. If you want to change the name, you got to go through the proper channels, basically go to court and have it changed. Then there's a huge debate in the family about which spelling of my name would be more beneficial would provide me more opportunities in life. And so my name stayed spelled R-A-C-H-E-L, although it was always pronounced Raquel or Raquel. So flash forward, I'm 17. I'm at this point exhausted of explaining myself and having to explain the spelling of my name versus the pronunciation of my name. And so I decided to go by Rocky. My name is Raquel. I cut it short. I introduce myself as Rocky now. Recently, I was on set 
filling out some paperwork, filling out my time card. And the producer asked me for my legal name. So I spell it, R-A-C-H-E-L. And she goes, oh, well, where did Rocky come from? Because that's Rachel. I said, yes, I understand. It is spelled that way. However, it is pronounced Raquel or Raquel. And she says, looks me dead in the eye and says, no, it's not. And I'm not going to call you that because that's not your name. Your name is Rachel. And, you know, proceeds to laugh and joke about it with other people around her. Needless to say, the producer was white. Um, But yeah, that's the story of my name. It's kind of always been a thing. At this point, you know, what are you going to do? I'm not going to fight over it. You want to be stupid and not understand that there is a C there. And it could be pronounced cuh. That's on you, homie. But uh, yeah, (laughs) that's the story of my name. This next story really hit me. As you'll hear, it comes from a woman who experienced bullying about her name from someone inside her community. So my name is Tayakana Tlatashli, Kurosika Gallegos. Tayakana Tlatashli is my first name, and it's in Nahuatl, or the original language for the Mexica people. And oh, what a journey it has been having a long ass name like that. Not to mention my mom's last name is my middle name, Gorosika, not something that you see very often. Um, Satayakana means she who leads. Tlatashli means fire in my blood. So together it's like she who leads with fire in her blood. And it's a really heavy name to have. I've gotten into fights with people on how to say my name, refusing to say my name, making fun of me for having a name like this, telling me my parents fucked up. I've had TSA laugh at my name, give me a hard time for having my name. I've had everything, every experience with my name and I wouldn't change it. I'm proud to have this name. I once had a substitute teacher um, in high school. I actually had him multiple times and each time he was our sub, he would always give me a hard time and my entire class would back me up and you know, try to come to my saving or whatever. But this teacher, what really confused me was he's a brown man. He was obviously of indigenous descent. The very first time I had him, he looked at my name and said, okay, class, I don't even know what this is. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna write it on the board. And he began to write my name. I already knew it was mine. I already knew anytime people are reading off names, a list of names and they come to mine, I always know it's mine because they hesitate or they stop. I'm like, yep, uh, hi, I'm here. And I started to, I was like, no, hi, you could just call me Teshli because I go by Teshli or Teshli if you speak Spanish. And he was like, no, 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 I'm just gonna. And he began to write it on the board and the whole class was like, no, she goes by Teshli, like just call her Teshli. It's fine, just call her Teshli. But no, he had to keep making it a show of it. And 
wrote my name on the board and I was like, yes, Tayakana is on there. Tlateshli is on there. But I go by Teshli and I would appreciate if you called me that. And he kind of laughed and he's like, I'm just going to call you T. And I was like, um, I would prefer if you call me Teshli, like I said. And even my whole class was like, just call her Teshli. It's not that hard. Um, but he was tripping out and giving me a really hard time. I have so many other stories if you're interested, but I think that one was the most, one of the most like impactful experiences because I was, the first time that happened, I was 13. I had just gotten into a performing arts high school for theater and it was my first time being around that many white people. Um, and navigating that system and how to be an indigenous person in a school like that. So I was already having a hard time and then this happened, but from a brown man, it was really, really confusing and it really stuck with me. I'm so sorry that happened and I know it is not an anomaly. We have to support each other in our communities. It is really unfortunate when we have to face something like this from within. We are with you, Teshli, and everyone else out there who has a name that is special, unique, and sometimes misunderstood. Y'all, I'm incredibly grateful for all these beautiful messages that keep pouring in. Please do not stop. You can always send me a voice memo directly to my Instagram or send it to brownenough at stitcher.com. I hope this is a space of belonging. I hope you have enjoyed your time here. I cannot wait to hear from you. I cannot wait to hear these stories. Peace and love. Uh, actually, lying. I need to close this episode out with a beautiful poem we received from Bea about owning her culture's language. Take it away, Bea. Admiring from a distance, an ode of celebration and wonder of what was once intimately mine and now just as a war-drafted young man returning from bloodshed to his beloved, I come back to her feet and embrace her. The only way I can. But I promise with everything I have. A.K.A. an English poem about my Spanish language. I love the way my language sounds. How consuming it is. It takes a second helping of a letter just so we can hold it a bit longer in our mouths. The intentionally reserved special movements of tongue against its own terraza, elevating letters into a suspended sound that we bathe ourselves for just a moment longer. How gluttonous it is and proud of that fact. And why shouldn't it be? My language was created with self-aware mechanics the inanimate structure of it coming to life when spoken, contagious with rhythm and melody that it dances out of our mouths, unapologetic in the love for life. Nuestra gente sabe la verdad sobre la vida. How rich it is and bounty. Our abuelitos y antepasados would find offense in declining an ofrenda and offended for not having consumed enough. Bella will stir up the repressed emotions people never wanted to face in themselves. Something about it merely existing with me, the way it proudly borrows twice from the same letter, transforming its own sound. 
How uncomfortable people become when I confidently stand in who I am, denying them the ability to foolishly attempt to decide for me who I am. Beya, a life's prayer I can slow down and repeat to myself. In secret, it transforms into warmth. My mother's effortlessly elegant arms against my chest, her head. I grew to stand as a taller woman, which I like to interpret as fulfilling the oath I made as a child to always protect her. It is now me who can envelop her, shield her in ways I failed to do physically for her as a child. Regardless of small size, I was strong, and that too is because I made an unspoken agreement in willingly carrying everything that was hers with what was mine. Any other way would be much too lonely. Beya, the only thing I know for certain was with me the moment from inception to birth. Beya forced me to carry the weight of knowing who I was before I ever knew. It broke me until I could not bear to defend it any longer, pleading with my mother to change it so that other people could know who I was. And although she herself was conforming to the new culture to fit in, she told me no. Eres chilena. Nuestra sangre. El español es nuestra lengua. Siempre será su primera lengua. Este es su nombre y no se va a cambiar por el bien de otros y la ignor ignorancia de ellos. Changing, changing always changing. In all aspects of my life, I've, people have always told me what and how to be, feeling like everything about myself was always wrong. Please forgive yourself for whatever you had to do in the past to survive. Discover and realize that no matter what the world throws your way, whatever obstacles you encounter throughout long periods of your life or throughout your day-to-day, -day, you can always Return to yourself. You always have that option. And if you did send us something and it didn't make it on here, it doesn't mean you are not enough. It means we are holding on to it because more of these listener episodes will be happening. We've already done two, and I look forward to doing many more. So I thank you. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher Studios. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producer Manolo Morales, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabriela Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Abby Aguilar. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. Thanks. Peace and love. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. 
So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.